thing I wanted to share with you guys. I've had the opportunity and privilege. Well, Keith would be here tonight, but the weather, you know, is not the best to get, you know, back in. He called earlier and said, you know, we better not try it. So uh, they didn't try it. And so uh, anyway, we're here. Yeah. But it's been a funny thing over the last several months and stuff because a lot of times Dave or I don't know who's speaking until the day of or sometimes it changes the day of and sometimes we don't know who's flying in until the day of or what's going on. But a lot of times we'll just both be preparing or we'll be, all three of us will be preparing because we know somebody's going to be speaking, you know. And so it's been the funniest thing as we've done this and we've talked about it later, what the sermons were. Dave called one night, or I called Dave because Robert, he's probably back there in the back, says, uh, what's the title for tonight? They always ask me what the title is. And Robert never knows who's speaking, so we always have to say, y'all like these stories, don't you? I can tell everybody's going like this. If you just listen to the sermons that hard. No, just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, Robert was, he, he'll text us and he'll say, what's the title for tonight? And so, because he don't know who's speaking or anything, so they'll usually ask me, because if it's Keith speaking, I can get it from Keith, or if it's Dave, or if it's me, or whoever. So he said, what's the title for tonight? And so I texted Dave, and his title was Love Colored Glasses. And I said, you are not going to believe this. That was the exact thing, and I started giving him the scriptures and giving him the things that I was going to speak that night, and it was like last minute he had to flip and catch a plane and come and speak that night. Well, on Sunday for Mother's Day, Keith didn't know this, but I had told him, I think I will do, I had told Dave the week before while we were there, I think Keith has just been going night and day. I think I'll volunteer. Can you believe this? I said this. (laughs) Me, I said this. I will volunteer for Mother's Day and do Sunday morning for him because he has just been going night and day. And I said, and I think I will do something on Proverbs 31. And I told kind of him what I was going to share on. You know, we were just kind of talking as we were flying back on the airplanes. We, we kind of have opportunities sometime when we're doing those hours and long. And Rob and Dan and I, you know, and, and, uh, and I told him that. And it's just been amazing the scriptures that have come out and the things that have come out as the three of us have had time to talk. And, and, and Keith will tell him and, and Dave will say, well, you know, Brother Moore, I was going to share. I shared that Wednesday night, the very scripture you used on Sunday morning. And it has been just God. So it's not like you're lacking on anything that God intended for you to get. You're getting what God intended for you to get. It may be coming through somebody different, but you're getting what God meant for you to get for that particular time. And I think that is just God and great. Because if you trust your leaders and you trust God at all, then he's going to make sure you're getting what you're supposed to get when you're supposed to get it. And that's what we should be doing. And so I just trust him and I believe that we're always in the right place at the right time doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And if everybody's doing that, then everything's going to turn out just grand and just right and everything's going to be perfect. Do you all believe that? Great, because you get me tonight. And I guarantee you this much, you would not have gotten the first part of this sermon had my husband have been here. So, Because I'm going to tell you about my first love. 
And I guarantee you, you wouldn't have got that with him. <laughs> my very first love of my whole entire life is the man you see every Sunday. He was the guy for me. The very first one I fell in love with. I fell in love with him when we were kids. And uh, he's still the love of my life. He's still the one that lights up my eyes and makes me smile. And today I was talking to him for the longest time. I, I can't remember what was going on. We were in the office one day and Dave needed to ask me a question. And he kept coming into the office. We were down there and he kept coming in. And I was on the phone with Keith. And he's, oh, you're still on the phone. I need to. And I was talking to Keith, you know. And I just don't get off when I'm talking to him, you know. And he's like, okay, come on, you know. And, uh, uh, because they're back in the back, and uh, I'm up there dealing with stuff, and they're back there dealing with stuff, and Robbie can tell you, they're just like, okay, come on, how long has she been on the phone? She was on the phone the whole time. You're... But when I'm talking to Keith, the time just flies. It does. I, I just lose track of time when I'm talking to him, because I love him. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It doesn't matter what we're doing. I love him. From the first time I think I saw him, I fell in love with him. And it's still that way today. We can be talking about anything, even airplanes. (laughs) And I enjoy it because I enjoy his company. I enjoy being around him. I enjoy, I don't care if we're just doing nothing, just sitting there, not doing anything, just sitting in a chair. We're just together. I enjoy his company. I enjoy what he looks like. I think he's handsome. I tell him all the time. (laughs) All the time. I think he's wonderful. Now, see, you wouldn't have got this had he been here. (laughs) I think he's sweet. I think he's, I know, again, I'm prejudiced. I think he is the world's best Bible teacher. Me, I think that. But that's me. I mean, I teach, I think that. I think he is just grand. I think he can do anything. I think there's not anything he can't do. If he sets his mind to it, he can do it. I do. I think that. I mean, I think it was Ramsey one day that said we were on the boat one day. What, what is it she said? She said he can fly a plane. He can drive a motorcycle. What, what, what uh, did she say? Y'all remember? Uh, it was a list of things. What can't you do, Brother Moore? You know, it was a funny thing, you know, but she, he said, I don't think I've ever done a, a train, you know, or something like that. You know, it was it was kind of cute because I do. I think he could do anything. We've never been on a cruise because they wouldn't let him drive the boat. I know <laughs> it would be too slow and they just wouldn't let him do it. So, you know, but I love him. He lights up my eyes. He, when he's gone for very long, I miss him. We talk constantly. We're texting or we're talking. But you have to know the way he texts. I text these big, long texts that last, like, you, you, it has to send four different messages to get it through, you know? And he says, yes. <laughs> and you don't know what the yes is to. So you ask a lots of things in it. So if you want a yes, you get the yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Susan's laughing because she likes that. She's thinking, okay, I'm going to try that. No. But 
you know, that's, he doesn't text. So, he'll, so today some things were going on, and, and uh, I was asking him several questions, one right after the other, and the next thing I know, my phone's ringing, because he's not going to text. That's not his thing, you know. But we enjoy each other's company. It's fun. If he learned how to ride a motorcycle, well, I jumped on the back. His mother's sitting here. Doris, what happened? When he got on the motorcycle, was I on the back? No matter, rain, sleet. Blonde hair was flying in the wind from the time we were kids. Wherever he went, I was there. It's been that way forever, right? Forever. Because I love him. I believe in him. Don't get me wrong. You've heard me tell the stories. We've had fights. We've had arguments. But what makes you stable? What brings you back? What makes you level? Is you remember that. You remember that you love them. That all these feelings and all this stupid stuff the devil's throwing at you and all this crud that's going on inside your head and all this junk that's going on around you. You look back and you think, they've always been there. When I was sick, they were there. When I was broke, they were there. When I was up, they were there. When I was down, they were there. When I looked like a wicked witch of the West, they were there. When I weighed 300 pounds, they were there. Not really 300, but close. They were there. Always there. When you mess up, they're there to dry your tears. When you do good, they're there to say, you did good. When you do bad, they're there to say, it's going to be okay. Be better next time. And you remember that. My first love. I remember it. I remember him. I remember him always. Well, we have, and you have. How many of you remember your first love and your love today, your true love? Mm-hmm. Turn with me to Revelations. King James Version, guys, chapter 2, verse 1. John was getting a revelation. This angel was trying to help him get it out, and this is what he said. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden golden candlesticks. I know your work and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them that say they're apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake and hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. 
Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do your first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove your candlestick from out of its place, except you repent. The NIV says, verse 2, look at it carefully with me for just a minute, because this is going to hit home with lots of people. I know your deeds, I know your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. Verse 3, I know you've persevered, and you've endured hardship. And you've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The Amplified says in verse 5, the last part of it. It says, repent and change the inner man to meet God's will. And do the works you previously did when you knew the Lord. Or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place. Read that last part with me. Unless you change your mind and repent. The New Living Bible says in verse 4, And I just want to read you this one phrase. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. What he's saying is just exactly what, say, I would say to this church today. I know how hard you've worked. I know how hard we've worked. We do work. We have a reputation for working. We have a reputation for when people come in here, we, people tell us all the time, how do you get all your people to work that way? We have a reputation for it. How do you get all your people to serve that way? How do you get them to be so faithful? We have a reputation for that. You guys have got to be the tops. I believe it. I believe you are. I believe we are the tops. Faithfulness. Endurance. Working in the rain today. Dealing with stuff. Getting ready for Celebration Sunday. But I also believe every single one of us, myself included, maybe myself even more, have had a tendency to get so busy doing the work of God that we've forgotten to love God. And spend time with God. Yeah. 
that you can get so busy with the things of God and thinking that you're serving God that you're not loving God and you're not loving His people. So let's remember for just a minute. Now stop and close your eyes for just a minute. And let's do what that verse said. It says, first thing that we have to do is remember where you started. So let's remember. Remember for just a minute when you got saved. Think, close your eyes and remember it. Remember the week after you got saved. Remember the month after you got saved. Remember six months after you got saved. Now, I don't know your story, but I know mine. And I would venture to say that most everybody in this room is a lot the same because I know God. And when you got saved, you were excited. How many in here, when you got saved, you were excited? How many in here, when you got saved, you weren't excited? I, one person, raise their hand, somebody, spend some time with that person. Because if they weren't excited, I got to wonder. I'm serious. When I got saved, you've probably heard Keith tell it, I was so excited. I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost the same night. This is what happened. I wasn't thinking about myself. My husband, the man I love, the one that brings the spark to my eye, my first love, continued night after night after night after week after month after six months after a year to go to church to try to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And night after night, after week, after week, after month, after month, we went to church. Now, this was after work, and this was after everything else that you have to do to run a household. You go to church night after night, after week after week, after month after month, to try to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay? And you still are a woman, and you still have to cook, and you still have to clean, and you still have to get up and go to work the next day, and you understand what I'm saying, correct? All right. Well, some of you are not saying a word, but that's okay. You'll get the picture. Well, every night, this is the way it was. The women were on this side. It was a little wood altar. It was about this tall. And then in the men were, the church probably would hold, uh, how many, Dars? 100? 100, 150. The men were on this side. I went way too far, okay? <laughs> this side and this side, Okay. And every time they gave an altar call, he'd wait for the sermon to get finished. And as quick as it was finished, he was the first one to the altar. And he didn't go to that end. He went right to the middle where he knelt to pray to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this happened every night. And I would think, oh, God, not again tonight. 
honest. Hey, I'm honest. If you know anything about me, that's me. And I would think, not again tonight, you know? And I know his mother probably thought the same thing because she was as tired as I was. (laughs) But it was every night. And this went on and 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 on. And so finally I came to the conclusion, it's my fault. It's my fault he's not getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It's my fault this is not happening. So I went to the altar on the lady's side, and as soon as I got up there, I kid you not, I felt out. The anointing was so strong up there. You couldn't walk up there without falling out under the power. As soon as I got to the front of the church, I fell out under the power. They tell me, I don't know, my head hit the back of a pew. I fell out on the floor, and I, I was saved because I went up there and I said, Lord... If there's anything that I'm doing that's keeping Keith from being filled with the Holy Spirit, please tell me. I'll change it. Whatever I need to do to help him get filled, show me. Well, I got saved during that time. Because I said, that's when you're, I was asking the Lord to come in my heart. Show me. Ask me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I didn't know to even talk to the Lord. I was raised something else. I won't say But anyway, they thought this particular denomination was the devil. And anyway, so they said it was freezing cold outside and it had just stopped raining just about like this. And they said, well, you've gotten saved. You must get baptized. So we went and I got baptized immediately. Well, all the way there. We're in the car with this other couple, and they said, as soon as you come up out of the water, just believe that you'll be speaking in tongues. As soon as you come up out of the water, just believe that you'll be speaking in tongues. If they said it once, in my mind, it was like they said it 5,000 times. So, when I come up out of the water, I believed I was going to be speaking in tongues, and I was. Well, that was really not the best thing. Because I could speak in tongues and my husband couldn't. So I had to work for him. And I had to pray for him. But that's what love does. But you know what? I was so excited. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. All I wanted to do was tell everybody, everybody I even hated, People I didn't like, I would call them on the phone and tell them about the Lord. I wanted them included in this. It was so wonderful. People I didn't even hardly know, I would call. Even my family that at that point in time, I really disliked because of some things. But I called them because I wanted them to have this. I wanted them to know this, how good this God was and how much peace I felt on the inside and how much joy I had on the inside. I wanted them to know this God that was so wonderful that I could do anything now because I had Him. Now, how many of you felt that way? You wanted to tell everybody about it. He could fix anything. Even your enemies, you wanted to tell about it. You wanted everybody included in it. Every place you went, you couldn't understand how come they weren't talking about the Lord. You wanted them to know. You went so far as to preach to your family about healing. 
that you knew they didn't believe in it, but you still preached to them about it. Right? You went so far as to tell your family about speaking in tongues and prayed in tongues in front of them even when you knew they were going to laugh at you. How many of you did it? Three quarters of the crowd. Why? Why did you do it? Because you knew it was good. And you knew it was going to help them. And you didn't care how it made you look or how they thought about you after that. You wanted them to have it because it was so good. You wanted them to have this God that was so loving and so compassionate and so kind and so merciful that He would help them fix their mess. Because you knew that in your heart. You didn't know it with your head. You weren't smart enough yet. You just got saved. But you knew it in here. You didn't have all the knowledge you needed to have, but you had the zeal. But then something happened. What happened? In Ephesians, who is he writing to right here? Huh? What church? The church at Ephesus. Now, I've been studying about marriage the last month or so. And Ephesians says something about, this is a mystery, but I speak concerning what? Christ and the church. Now, you changed. I changed. What happened? You changed in your marriage? And you changed in your zeal for God? What happened? Anybody got a clue? We got some knowledge. We lost all of our zeal and we got some knowledge. We got smart. We got all the answers. And we knew what to do in every situation. We had the right way to do it. We know that when you get sick, you confess, by Jesus' stripes, I was healed. We know that when we're broke, we give and we expect to receive. We know that in our marriage, the husband is the head and the wife is supposed to submit. But we lost our smile. For serving God, we lost our smile in our marriages and we became just like the world because we got some knowledge. 
But let's go back. Now you said you were remembering. You remember when you got saved. Were you full of joy that week, that night, that day? Do you think God changed from that week, that night, that day when you got saved? I don't. And I've purposed in my heart to go back and find where that zeal is and where that joy is and forget about just doing all the mechanics of serving God and get back to loving God and loving people the way that He intends for us to serve God and love people and get back to getting that joy back in my heart. And get these frowns off of our faces. You know what happens? Is we get so busy seeking things and doing things that we forget about who we're doing them for. And what we're doing. And we run over certain people and run over certain things. I mean, we run over our kids to get to somebody to work to minister to. Like they're nobody. Or we run over our spouse to get to somebody else to minister to like they're nobody. We're never going to get our zeal back that way. It's because of the knowledge that we have. Let's look at some more scriptures. Are you ready? Let's see. Psalm 51 in the King James was David talking to the Lord after he'd had the little encounter with Bathsheba. He was asking the Lord for some things. But I only want you to get this one verse right here. It's verse 12. 51, 12. It says... Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. The Living Bible says, Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Now, I know that's probably not politically correct. And who's ever theologians watching by the internet, I've never been very politically correct or a theologian. So save your letters or Dave will read them for you. And shred them. I won't ever see them. So, but anyway, the heart of that is right. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And help me be willing to see things the way that you want me to see them. Help me be willing to obey the way that you want me to get this out to people. Help me be willing to to treat my spouse right, or my kids right, or my co-worker right, or my boss right. Help me be willing. You ever wanted to be more willing? Help me to be that way. To where I don't, I mean, we have tempers today like you wouldn't believe. I mean, our, it's like our emotions have run rampant and we've let them. I don't think that's God. I don't think that we should be just like the world is. That, that we should just be able to just do and say whatever we want to do and say just because it flares up on the inside of us. Okay, we're Looney Tunes today. So we get back Looney Tunes. Oh, I repent, God. I'm sorry. 
No, we should be able to have something greater on the inside of us to help us control that. But what's happened is we've lost the joy of our salvation and there's reasons why. There's reasons we've lost that joy. And it's because we have become... Hang on and I'll tell you in a little while. Do you want to know? Are you interested in this at all? How many of you really, really, really are interested in getting back to your zeal and your joy for serving God and not just going through the motions of it and coming to church because it's required? I mean, you used to go to church because you wanted to go to church, because you wanted to learn something. Now you come to church because you feel like somebody's going to think something of you or they're going to think you're having a fight or they're going to think you're backslid or they're going to think something bad. You're not coming to church because you want to anymore. You don't have to look at me like that. I know it. (laughs) But you used to come to church and, I mean, I remember when we used to stand in line for four hours to get in, to get a seat to get in church. In the freezing cold. And my toes would turn blue. And then I'd walk in and somebody would step on my toe and because it was already blue, it broke. But I wanted to hear from God. And I wanted to be in the anointing. Now it's like, oh God, I'm so tired. Do I have to go to church again? Oh yeah, I said it. (laughs) Oh, you didn't just catch a flight that lasted eight hours and get here just in time to change clothes and get to church. I love God with all my heart and soul. But we've got to get back to the reasons that we're doing things. We're not just doing them to go through the motions. There's a reason you got saved. You ready? Remember it. Did you all remember? Everybody got something in their mind that they remember how it was, right? When you got saved, all right? The second one is repent. Uh Uh-oh. There's that ugly, dirty, bad word that everybody thinks is such a horrible thing. Well, let me show you something that might help you out here. Really help me out. Most of the Old Testament talks about one person repenting. Can anybody tell me who that was? That's just what I thought. Genesis 6 says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. Exodus 32, uh, 14, 12, uh, 26, all different places in here says, uh, The Lord repented of his thoughts that he would planned to carry out concerning his people. If that nation whom I pronounced doesn't turn from their evil or they will turn from their evil, then I'll repent from the thoughts that I thought of doing to them. Then Jonah again says, um, God repented. For what he was going to do to the Ninevites. Because they changed. Jonah got mad at him. Remember, you remember the story, right? 
mostly God repented in the Old Testament. But what did it mean that he repented? Let me tell you what the definition is. To change your heart or your disposition. To change your mind. Is that what God did? It was a simple, okay, I've changed my mind. They've repented. I'm not going to destroy them. They've changed. I've changed. How about that in your marriage? Wow. Kathy says, okay, Jerome's changed. I can change. Hmm. He changed that? I can change him. We can have a good marriage. Wow, just that simple. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> no writing in the sky, no burning bush, no nothing. One morning we got up, he changed that, she changed that. We have a good marriage. Jeesh. Just that easy. Is that what God did? Said he changed his mind. Have you read your Old Testament? It said he changed his mind from destroying them because they changed. If that can happen with God because people changed, can it happen with you? Can it happen with you and your mother? Or your mother-in-law or your brother or your sister or your cousin or your boss or your neighbor or your child? Oh, That child that's been doing all these bad things. Maybe they change one thing and you change and believe in them again. Give them another chance. You change your mind. It could be real easy. Think about this. When you got saved, I want to know, I want you to stand up. Now this is real important. I want you to stand up. If when you came to the altar, you repented and told God, by that I mean, you told God every sin you had ever done in your life for you to get saved. Every sin you'd ever done in your life. You didn't miss one thing that you'd ever done from the day you were born. You can't remember everything you've done from the day you were born. I'm sorry. When you're two years old, you don't know where you messed up. When you're three years old, you don't know where you messed up. When you're four years old, how many of you can remember when you were two years old, everything you did wrong? When your mom would slap your hand for stealing cookies out of the cookie jar? Do you remember it? You know, four years old, five years old, I don't think you can. And I'm not just trying to dispute you, but I don't think you can remember what you did when you were five years old. Does everybody remember everything they did when they were five years old? Today, you repented of everything you ever did when you came to the altar. I don't think so. You said, God, I love you. And I accept you into my heart. Please forgive me for all the messed up thinking and messed up things that I've ever done in my life. From this day forward, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to live for you. And I know There are some people that think the other way, that you are supposed to confess everything that you do. But I don't think most people have ever done that, and I think most people are saved. I know we're going to have a whole world of people going to hell if it has to be the other way. (laughs) 
And that's what I think about this. I think that we have got a whole world of people right now that are living lives with no joy and no zeal and no love for the Lord because we've gotten mm, knowledge. That's all I'm going to say right now. We'll go on to the next one in just a minute. Knowledge. So what we want to do is we want to look at what we are supposed to do so that we can get back the joy. Get back to the things that we are supposed to do to have our joy and fulfill the things that God wanted to do. Get back to our first love. I know you've probably all heard me tell the stories about how Keith and I had trouble for a few years because I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do. But you know what? I changed. And I thought differently. And God restored. And it's been wonderful. And I know if He can do that with that, He can do that with this, He can do it with you, He can do it with everybody. So, what are some things that make you stray from your first love serving God? Think about them. Can you think of anything? What? Busyness. What's something else? Worry. Fear. Huh? Passiveness. What's some other things? Selfishness. Entertainment. Confidence. Not spending time in the Word. Those are all wonderful things. And they're all true. But it usually comes back to one thing. And we'll get to it. The question I would say is, what do we need to repent for? Don't you want to know that before you repent? Okay, what do I need to repent for, Lord? Because if you repent or you change your mind, you need to know what you're changing your mind for. Turn with me to Luke 6.27. You want your joy back? We're about to find out how. You said you remembered what happened the first week that you got saved. But I say unto you, Luke 6, 27, King James, which here, love your enemies. Uh Uh-oh. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Okay, now we lost about an eighth of the crowd right there. And to them that smites thee on one cheek, offer the other. And to him that takes your coat, forbid cloak, forbid not to take your coat also. We lost another eighth. Give to every man that asks of thee. And to him that takes away your goods 
and ask of him not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them. Now we lost three-fourths of the crowd. For if you love them that love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love them that love them. And if you do good to them that do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do the same. And if you lend to them to whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But if you love your enemies and you do good and you lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be you therefore merciful, as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you'll be not judged. Condemn not, and you'll be not condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, now we all know this verse, give, and it shall be given. Unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake the parable unto them, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall in the ditch? Is that what's been happening? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Why behold the mote that's in your brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that's in your own eye? Either how can you say to your brother, let me pull the mote that is in your eye, that is in thine eye, when thou sayest, behold, not the beam that's in your own eye. Boy, this gets hard to read. You hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Now, you're not clear about what you need to repent about. So I'm going to make it even clearer about what we need to repent about, myself included. This is the Message Bible. And if it doesn't make it plain enough for you, then you probably want to crawl under your chair because, uh, or come to the altar for lying for, and maybe repent another way. Um, put the message up there. It says, to you... Who are ready for the truth. How many of you are ready for the truth? We'll go forward. That's about... Okay, let's try to get... How many of you are ready for the truth? Okay, good. Yeah. All right, good. Me too. I say this. Love your enemies. Number one. How many of you will truly love your enemies? Change my mind. I'll love my enemies. How hard is that? Huh? Are we changing our mind? This is what it's about. Love our enemies. How many of you really have thought you had an enemy? Are you going to love them? Okay. You're, you're, you're saying it. All right. Let them bring the best out of you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, Respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat 
and make it a present. Are you ready to do it? Huh? Do we have room to grow, guys? This is the word. We got too much knowledge. We lost our love. We lost our zeal. We cared about our enemies that we didn't like when we first got saved, wanted them included in the things of God, but now we don't. We've become faith people. And if they don't believe it the way we believe it, kick them out the door. That's the way it is. We don't have time to put up with them if they won't talk right. We don't have time for them. I don't have time to fool with that. I've got busy things to do. I've got to take care of church business. I've got to deal with this, and I've got to build this church, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. I'm talking to myself. Now, y'all know that me well enough to know that, right? And if you get benefit of it, well, go, go ahead. Who are we supposed to be? We are supposed to be examples of God's love. But we've lost our zeal. Do we have room to repent? To change? Should there be a zeal in us to help people that has hurt us? Or do we just go in and stab them in the back and wish bad for them? Or do we not know? Are we not smart enough with all of our bright knowledge that we have gained becoming word and faith people that if they were to get saved, they too would change? But we've gotten too smart for that. We can't love them. Just the other day, um, Dan was with, where's Steve? Steve Pollard. Raise your hand, Steve. Yeah, Steve will remember it. Yeah, he'll remember it real well. We were out. We had just got finished working and we were tired and it was a beautiful day. And uh, it was late in the evening. And we decided, me and Dan and Steve, to go for a quick bike ride. You know, Dave was kind of behind somewhere. Um, Kim, I'm sorry. He just... But anyway, um, we went for a bike ride, and we went down this road, and this guy let loose on Steve. I mean, he just let him have it. And Steve, you know, well, it didn't take 30 seconds. I started telling him some things, and we started doing some things, and we just diffused the situation and started walking in love and started loving on the man. And he was like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde almost, wasn't he, Dan? It was like total difference. But now, you can choose to play their game. And the first thing that happened when Dave, we told Dave about it, he said, reckon that man saved, he said, how old, first question he said was, how old was he? We said, 80-something, isn't that right? And he said, reckon he's saved? How much more time reckon he's got? Reckon there's a reason why y'all went by there? First thoughts that start popping into our minds. What is our job? Why do people act that way? 
Because they don't know God. That's what sinners do. And if we respond the way that they respond, then we should just be called sinners too. But we're not. We have the greater one inside of us, but we've lost him because we're living the same way they're living. We're thinking the same thoughts. Let's keep on reading. If they slap your face, you don't turn around. And I don't, if Connie slaps my face, I don't come up to Connie and, and go, <laughs> Connie, turn around and slap her right back. But that's what we're doing. What should I do? What does the word say I should do? Stand there and take it. Now that takes some. Christian guts. It's what it takes. I have a right to speak my mind. I don't have to take that from anybody. Don't they know who I am? Who are you? A child of God that should be walking in love. And if they take your coat, your shirt, if they steal from you, gift wrap them. Gift wrap them. Don't just pull off your coat and give it to them. You have to take the time. Now, get the picture. You have to take the time. You can't just, okay, have my coat too. No. You take the time and gift wrap it in a nice box. And give them your best coat. Do we have something to repent about? Are we portraying our Father God? What did Jesus do when they came to get him to crucify him? And one of his disciples cut off one of their ears. Our kids acted out. They've even got it. The man's going to kill him. What did he do? He heals the man and fusses at his disciple for cutting his ear off. Gives him a new ear. Okay, there you go. What would you have done? You just said, stab him in the chest. (laughs) Finish it up. Let's run. Hide. Hey, we still have the nature of the flesh. That's what we have to crucify. We have to get his nature. Let's keep reading. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, uh uh-oh, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Now, that is one that comes back to the husbands and wives, I'm afraid. Because I think that happens in houses a lot. That a husband thinks a wife takes unfair advantage of him or a wife thinks a husband takes unfair advantage of him. Wait a minute. They took advantage of me. They got that over on me. They won that fight. What does it say? 
It says, use the occasion to practice the servant life. You don't always have to win. It's not about winning. It's about who you represent. And you represent somebody greater than yourself. You represent the Lord. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Here's a simple rule of thumb of behavior. Ask yourself what you would want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. I know what that is. What you'd want people to do for you. I thought about it when this came up. All these things. If they slap you in the face, or they give you a hard time, or they steal your coat, I know exactly what you're going to do. And it didn't say do it in any of these verses. You're going to sit them down and teach them a lesson or give them a tape. (laughs) And it did not say to do that. Nowhere. It did not say give them a scripture verse. It did not say preach to them. It did not say that anywhere. Didn't say do it to your wife. Didn't say do it to your kids. Didn't say do it to anybody. Sorry. Didn't say it. It said love them. It said wrap up your coat and make it a present. If they slap you, take it. So, unless you can find me the scripture that says, tell them, uh, you know, okay. I'll go on. Y'all didn't like that, so I'll go on. I have room to repent. I have room to change my thinking on some things. Verse 32. If you only love the lovable... Do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners do that. If you only give what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers do that. Are you getting the picture? I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. Now, wait a minute. The only reason I give is to get. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Everybody knows that. That's the only reason I give. But do you know that God sees the big picture? And if that's the only reason you're giving, and if you be mean to everybody all the rest of the time, and all you do is give, you ain't never going to get. Because God looks at the heart. And you can't do, not do verse 33 and get verse 35. It don't work. 
I was thinking about the other day. Dave taught on the Good Samaritan recently. And I was thinking about something that recently happened. And I was thinking, Lord, we have become so selfish as a people. I was thinking, you know, take this for instance. Say, do we live in Tornado Alley kind of, kind of somewhere? Somebody says you live in Tornado Alley, what they call Tornado Alley or something. And they say, well, you should move because you live in Tornado Alley. You should know better. They used to tell us that in Tulsa all the time. Well, you live in Tornado Alley. Don't you know that? Maybe you should move. Maybe a tornado came, blew their house away, and 25 people told them they should move. And they didn't move, and they lost everything. And they didn't have any insurance because they lived in Tornado Alley. And they didn't go to your church either. But they lost everything. What's the first thing that pops into your mind when that happens? Huh? Honestly, what's the first thing that pops into your mind when that happens? Why didn't they move when all them people told them? Tell the truth. Why didn't they move when all them people told them to? Right? Why didn't they get out? Should we do anything for them? Why didn't they get out? Next thing is, why didn't they have insurance? Next thing is, well, they go to another church. Why don't their church help them? Y'all have never thought those things? Huh? Where's the love in it? But what if those very same people had a reason why they didn't move? Maybe it had been a really, really bad year, and maybe they didn't make any money, and maybe they lost this, and maybe they lost that, and maybe... uh, Some things had just been real bad and they couldn't move. Maybe they wanted to move really bad. Or maybe it's another story and somebody lost their car, got repossessed. You saw it get repossessed. And you know they hadn't been working too much. What's the first thing you think? When you know they hadn't worked maybe as much as they could have or maybe they hadn't worked. What's the first thing you think? Y'all are quiet. Why didn't they work more? Why didn't they do something? Why did they lose their car? Why didn't they? But what you may not know is maybe they had a whole pile of doctor bills. Or maybe they were doing everything they could to work. 
the first thing that should pop into our minds shouldn't be why. Shouldn't be the judgment of it. What do you want people to do for you if something happens to you? Even if, even if you really messed it up. Even if you did get told 25 times to move. Even if you did not work and lose your car. Even if you did do something and mess up. What do you want people to do for you? You want them to have mercy on you. Show you some mercy and help you. And maybe you'll do better next time. Maybe you'll listen better next time. Maybe they're just not quite as spiritual as you are. Right? Guys, we've got to quit putting ourselves on this fancy saddle on our horse and thinking that we're wiser and smarter than everybody else. And so therefore, we can't love them because they're not where we are. Whether it's our coworker or our spouse or our neighbor or our nearby or whoever it is, every person that we come in contact with is God's child just like you're God's child. He paid a price for them just exactly like he paid one for you. And you know what? I am weird, and most people couldn't stand to be around me. But I'm still God's child. And you have your ways, and he has his ways, and he has his ways, and she has her 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 ways, and we all have our ways. And that's what makes us so wonderful. It's because it takes you doing your thing and 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 you doing your thing because I guarantee you I can't build stairs. And I guarantee you I am not going to spend the time and don't have the time to spend cleaning that they do. I don't have the time. I can't do all the tape things Wit does. You know, you can't do everything that everybody else does. So why do you want to cut everybody else down when you can't do everything? We can't. We need everybody doing everything that they can do. Everybody doing every part that they can do in order to do what needs to be done. We, we can't miss one person. We can't miss one thing. And every person that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, that means someone is going to get missed. Because you're going to come in contact with them and they might not. And nobody deserves to be missed. No matter what they've done. I don't care if they've got purple hair and piercings all over their body. And tattoos and, and uh, bones coming out of their ears. I love them. They don't deserve to be mistreated. And we've got to perfect these things. Let's finish reading some of these things that I want to read to you another verse. It says, Our Father, verse 36, Our Father is kind. Be you kind. Don't pick on people 
jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those that are down. Hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people, and you'll find life a lot easier. Your life been hard? Give away your life, and you'll find life giving back. But not merely giving back, giving back with a bonus and a blessing. Giving, not giving, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. He quoted a proverb, can the blind lead a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in a ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture a master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and obviously the ugly sneer, oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this I know better than you mentality. Playing the holier than thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Now, you know what? It would really do us good to print that out and read that message translation almost every day for a while till we get this change in our hearts real good. Because everybody we come in contact with, I don't know if you know it or not, but it seems like this last few years there's been a lot of people hurting. And a lot of people that's lost their smiles. And a lot of people that's been down. And we should be able to bring them up. But when we're the ones that's down, how do you bring anybody else up? There are ways. And here's some of the help you're going to start getting. Galatians 6.2. It says, this is the Amplified. I'm sorry, guys. It says, bear, endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults. In this way, fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, the Messiah. Complete what is lacking in your obedience to it. For if a person thinks himself to be somebody too important Uh, To shoulder another one's load, when he is nobody, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. But let every person carefully scrutinize and examine and test his own conduct, his own work, and he can have personal satisfaction. And here's the part I want you to get. Joy in doing something commendable. Where does your joy come from? Do you need to read it with me? Where does your joy come from? You get joy in doing something for other people. And there is where our problem is. Everybody is so busy doing for themselves that they forgot about doing for other people. 
They forgot about bearing one another's burdens. They forgot about helping the other person through their trials and tests. They forgot about helping pull somebody else up. They just sat in their mully grubs and thought, oh, poor pitiful me, I need this, I need this, I need this. When really what should be happening is, do you know, as I was preparing for this, the Lord reminded me, how long was Jesus in his ministry? I, I, I can't hear you. How long? Uh, how long? So how long did his disciples have to get trained? Huh? What? Uh, wait a minute. I've missed something here. You mean that after a very short period of time, They were laying hands on the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, forgetting about their own problems, leaving their families, doing all these things for the Lord. You mean it didn't take... How many of you guys have been in this church three years? Raise your hands, please. Stand up, please. Uh, That's what I thought. That's just what I thought. So that means every one of you people should be ministering to somebody continuously. That means that Keith and I and Dave and Kim and a couple of our other Rob and Dan and a couple of our other people shouldn't have to do all the work because every one of you are ministering to families around you. If they have a marriage trouble, you hear about it, you go Just like today. You're still standing? Keep standing just a minute. Just like today. We flew in yesterday. We had stuff going. We've got Celebration Sunday going. We've got this going. I ministered to four people this afternoon. How many did you minister to today? Three. And in still speaking tonight. Why why would that have to be? When they're probably some of your friends. You see what I'm saying? The disciples were sent out. They'd only been, you can be seated now. They had only been with the Lord for three years. What happens is we're getting fat and doing nothing. You can learn nothing by sitting. You got to do. You got to get up off of our duffs. But the worst part about it is you lose your, your, any sense of, of, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, it says it right here. Commendability. You lose any sense of, of joy at the end of the day. Of I've done something good. You lose any sense of you're a good person. If all you're doing is thinking about yourself and what bills you've got. So what? You lost your house today. You go find somebody that lost their house and you go minister to them. So what? You lost your car today. You go find somebody that lost their car today and you minister to them and you kick the devil's teeth out. Brother Hagin would tell us all the time, I ministered prosperity when I didn't have hardly a nickel to rub together. How many times did he tell us that, Kate? I I mean, every meeting almost, he'd tell us, when I hardly had a nickel to rub together in my pocket with another nickel. 
I ministered prosperity with holes in the bottom of my shoes. But today, people are so ashamed. We've got too much knowledge. We're too ashamed for anybody to know that we might have a problem ourselves. We can't go to somebody and love on them and say, you know what, I just went through that last week. Let's get it, let's pray. Let's get, it. Let's get, get the devil on the run. Let's kick him in the teeth. Let's get him out of here. Nobody in here would admit that they needed help with anything because you're supposed to be too spiritual. So you come in here and you're down like this. And you get just enough to come up when you come to the service. Where What you should be doing, I know. I know what got me through when Keith and I had marriage troubles 25 years ago. I know exactly what got me through. I found everybody I knew that had any marriage trouble and I found every scripture that would help them and I went to them and I ministered to them. Every one of them. One after the other, after the other, after the other. And I didn't stop. And the more I ministered, the more I talked, the more I learned. The more I talked, the more I learned. The more I talked, the more I learned. But the more I sat in my house with my arms folded in the recliner and cried, the deeper I got and the sadder I got and the more depressed I got and the more upset I got and the broker I got and the sadder I got and the messed upper I got. But the more I gave out, the more I got in. Because if you give what? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And that was not just talking about money. What was the whole context of that verse? It was talking about bearing one another's burdens. It was talking about loving one another. It was talking about if somebody slaps you, you stand there and take it and you minister to them. It was talking about if they want your coat, you give them your cloak also. Or your cloak, you give them your coat also. It's ministering to them. It's loving on them. And you do that and you give to them and it's going to come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Your troubles are going to go away. But the reason we as a church have so many troubles is because we just want somebody to tell us how to fix it. And we want all this mind knowledge. And we want all this stuff in our heads. But our heads ain't never going to fix it. Only love is going to fix it. And the only way that love can fix it is if you're ministering it to someone else. Love does you no good to keep it to yourself. It only does you good when you're out getting up off your duff and ministering to somebody when it's not convenient. Just today, I told Dave, we were exhausted. We had had a full week. It had been like one thing after another. And I texted him to ask him something about the announcements, and I couldn't get him. And finally, he texted back. He said, I've been dealing with somebody on their marriage. And so I texted Kim, and and I said, uh, he said something else. And I said, it's not when they, I forget even how it said. It's, they never need you when it's convenient. They need you when they need you. And it's never been with us when it's convenient. Never in my life has it ever been when somebody really needed me has it ever been convenient. It's always been, I can remember many a time, a youth or a, or a person has called me and I have been just exhausted. And Keith has looked at me and said, you're not going back up to that church. 
But my heart cries out when somebody's hurting that way. And I said, I'll just be just a few minutes. I'll, I've got to go. The, this is happening or this is happening. And they're hurting. But it saves me from having troubles. Because I know if I sow that to them, if the devil tries to attack me with something, he can't. He cannot. Because I have sown ministering to somebody else, it has shut the door. But if I sit at home and I think about, oh God, how am I going to pay this light bill? Oh God, what am I going to do? We're going to lose our house. Oh God, what are we going to do? Our kids are going crazy. And I just sit there and think about it. I don't have an answer. It's when I find somebody to minister to about it. It's when I have an answer. And there is plenty of people in this church that need ministering to. And the way you find out about them is you get to loving on people and you get to talking to people. You can't be a snail in a shell. It won't work. And you can't turn your phone off at 5 o'clock. If you don't want to have problems and you want your life to go good and you want things to go good in your family and you want your life to be a prosperous and full of joy and all the things that God intended for you to do, then you minister to other people. I don't care if you're male. I don't care if you're female. I don't care if you're what you are. It's time to minister to others. Find a way. Do it as a couple. Find a way. Don't turn on the TV and spend all your time worshiping that God. Go back to your first love. Go back to the God of joy. Go back to the God that you cared about other people more than you cared about that TV. When you first got saved, you didn't go in and turn on that TV. You found somebody to talk to. You found somebody to get filled with the Holy Spirit. You found somebody to minister to. You found somebody that needed to hear about God and you wanted them to have it, whether you liked them or not. And if they were hurting, you wanted to help them. And you didn't know a TV existed. But now you're tired. You were tired then. God will grace you. When you put one foot forward, the grace will be there immediately. He ain't going to grace you to sit in that chair. I have found it's the funniest thing. When I don't run, I eat. It's true. The more exercise I get, the less I eat. Now, you can't be around four big guys and not gain weight when all they want to do is eat. They eat like horses. And then you put my husband and he eats more than all of them put together. But the more you do, the more you get answers. It's the way God works. It's the way things work. Okay, that was the last one. Remember, repent, do. That's what that verse says in verse 5. Or your first love. Remember, Revelation 5, uh, 2, 5. It says, remember from where you've fallen from. Repent. And do the works that you've called to do. The Message Bible of Galatians 6-7 says, Don't be misled. 
No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued in doing good. At the right time, we'll harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all. Starting where? With the people closest to us. Mark 12 says, verse 30, one of the disciples, this is the NIV, asked Jesus this question, Lord, what's the most important commandment? Verse 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of you already knew that? Every person in this room. But what does it mean? Does it mean knowledge? Or does it mean doing? I don't know about you, but I am not going to be too busy to love. I'm not going to be too busy to show love. I'm not going to be too busy to do what God tells me to do, to minister to people. I'm not going to be too busy to check on people. I'm not going to be too busy to do the things that I am supposed to do. I can't do for you. I want my joy. Just like I want to keep the joy of my marriage. If I did not do what I needed to do in my marriage, would I lose the joy of my marriage? If I didn't want to spend time with my husband, if I didn't want to fellowship with him, if I didn't want to do the things that I knew it took to keep that joy in my marriage, there wouldn't be a marriage. Well, it's the same thing with the Lord. If we don't do the things that we know that we're supposed to do, then we lose our joy and we lose our zeal. Give out what God has given you. If you keep it in, you just get down, you just get depressed, you just get more selfish. It's not about possessions. It's about people. It's not how much we possess. It's about how many people we help. Stand up on your feet. Father, I just ask you to give me a willing heart and show me where I can change to get back to my first love, you. To get back to the joy 
of ministering to people, to get back to the joy of loving on people and putting others first and not letting little things offend me. Not letting little things that people do bother me. But knowing that I love them because you've given me a love to love them with. And I just pray for every person in this place now then that your love wells up in their heart. Greater than it's been before. Every person on the internet, every person in this room, that they have a joy to serve you their first love again. And that that zeal rises in their heart. Because serving you and caring for other people is where that zeal and joy comes from. And I ask you to restore the joy of their salvation through serving you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we as a crowd, and only agree with this if you can, repent, which means we change our minds to do what you've asked us to do. And we'll do it with joy and gladness because you've given all for us. We'll give all for you, Father. We committed that the day we got saved. And we recommit it to you now, Father. And everyone that agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.